Well, good morning. Thanks for tuning in and joining us, whether you're from Frontline Church or New Life or Center Church. It's great to have you with us. Happy Palm Sunday. And we are continuing our series as we are following Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. And today we're going to look at an inter interaction that Jesus has with a man in Mark chapter 10. And we're going to dive into that together and hopefully be able to see ourselves a little bit in this story. Uh, a few years ago, there was a woman who was a part of our church, Frontline, who had worked really, really hard to invite her friend to come to church. And so she'd invited her again and again and again. And so finally she said yes, and she agreed to come with her friend and attend our church. And so after the service was over, she brought her friend who was here for the first time up to meet me. So the sermon had just gotten over and I was kind of standing there uh, near the, the platform and this woman comes up and I meet her for the very first time, first Sunday, uh, and her friend is right there with her, so excited that her friend finally came with her to church. And I'll never forget, she had one of those like long shirts on, I don't even really know what they're called, uh, that women wear sometimes. And I saw the shirt and immediately I politely asked, oh, when are you due? And looking at her face, I suddenly realized I had made a terrible mistake. And so I look at her friend who had worked so hard to get her there. And I, I'm looking like, will you bail me out here a little bit? And her friend's got this look on her face behind her like, are you serious? <laughs> like I, fry, I finally get my friend to come with me to church. And that's what you say to her when you meet her. Appearances can be deceiving, can't they? Uh, how many of us have looked at someone and it just looked like they had it all together. Have you ever met somebody? Like they just look like they have it together. Physically, they look like they have it together. In terms of money, in terms of success, they just exude confidence. They just exude something externally that when you see them, you just say, man, they must have it together. And whenever we meet somebody like that, oftentimes what we do is we make assumptions about what they must be like on the inside, in the interior of their life based on what we see on the outside. Appearances can be really deceiving. That's what we're gonna see today. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Last week, as Brad and John talked about, we've moved into this place with uh, Mark's gospel where Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Mark keeps reminding us of that. And the reason he keeps reminding us of that is because Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die in a sacrificial death on the cross for our sins. And so this is a huge moment. Jesus is on his way to, to Jerusalem and a man runs up to Jesus and has this interaction with Jesus while he's on his way to Jerusalem to die on the cross. And so we're going to look at that together because it's a very unique interaction Jesus has with this man. So this is Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. It says this, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man... Jesus felt genuine love for him. That's important. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. Jesus looks at him and he feels genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go, 
and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. So this is kind of, you know, it's, it's an intense interaction that Jesus has with this guy in the gospel stories. And actually, this story is told in Matthew's gospel, in Mark's gospel, and in Luke's gospel. And the gospel writers refer to this man as the rich young ruler. That's the term that's used to describe him. Scholars talk about him as the rich young ruler. And so what I'd love to do is I, I would love to just give you a few observations about this guy, the rich young ruler. So first of all, this man, the rich young ruler, he had everything that we think we want. He had the life that we think we want. He was living well. He was rich, he was young, and he's important. He has a lot of money, he has a lot of years left, and he probably had a lot of followers on Instagram. You know what I mean? He probably had a six-pack too. Like if there was ever a guy in the Gospels that had a six-pack abs, it was probably this guy, right? Actually, I have six-pack abs too. It's just that they're hidden under like two inches of fat. But this guy had it. Like you look at this guy and you would think this guy was living the life that we all want. He was living the kind of life that we think that we want to emulate. The second thing uh, about this man is that he's very different than anybody else that Jesus interacted with in the Gospels. So he isn't sick and needing Jesus to heal him. He's not some blatant sinner like a prostitute or a tax collector. So uh, he, he just is different than the other kinds of people that Jesus interacts with. He's not a demon possessed. The issue this man is wrestling with is he's possessed by his possessions. He didn't own things, things owned him. And that was the issue going on in his life. Oftentimes it's really hard for us, I think, to relate to some of the people that Jesus interacts with in the gospels. But I think for most of us here in the West, the rich young ruler is somebody we can relate to. We can see ourselves, especially if we, we live here in the West, in the rich young ruler. He's possessed by his possessions. He's, a, he's obsessed with getting the appearance on the outside right. And he's probably made some assumptions even about himself just because he's been able to make it look right on the outside. In many ways, this guy would have been like the perfect West Michigan Christian, especially when you consider the third observation about this man, and that's that uh, the rich young ruler was maybe the most religious person that we encounter in the scriptures. Uh, the text tells us that when Jesus says, well, you know the commandments, you want eternal life, just follow the commandments, and the man uh, says, all of these I have done since I was young. In other words, I've done nothing wrong. I've done everything right. In fact, that's a perfect definition of religion is doing nothing wrong. It doesn't mean you actually did anything right. It doesn't mean that you actually stepped out in faith to follow. It just means I managed to not do anything wrong. Oftentimes that's a perfect picture of religion. And so Jesus is looking at this man. And even though this man has claimed by his own words that he's done nothing wrong, there's still this burning question in his life. Was it enough? He comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to have eternal life? Because despite all his wealth, despite all his accomplishments, despite how it looked on the outside, there was something inside of him that said, I don't know if this was enough. When Jesus answers the rich young ruler, Jesus does something really clever. You almost don't see it at first when you look at the text. What Jesus says in response is he says, well, you know the commandments. And then he begins to quote the 10 commandments, right? 
But what he does is he, he quotes the second grouping of the Ten Commandments. So what you need to understand is at this time in the first century, the Jewish rabbis uh, divided the Ten Commandments into two groups. The first group was the vertical ones. So the first few of the commandments relate to our relationship with God. They're vertical. The second group of commandments relate to our relationship to other people. They're the horizontal commandments. So when Jesus says, well, you know the commandments, and he starts to quote them, he's quoting the second group. He's quoting the horizontal ones. And he's saying, well, do not murder, do not commit adultery, honor your mother and father, don't lie, don't cheat. And he goes through them and he leaves one out. Do you know which one he leaves out? Don't answer. No, you guys answer. But you guys at home in your living room, do you happen to know which one of that second group of 10 commandments that Jesus leaves out? He leaves out, do not covet. That's the one that he leaves out. Jesus is putting his finger on the issue that's really going on in this guy's life. Coveting is interesting because coveting is probably of all the sins, it's probably the hardest one to spot in somebody else. You can't really see when someone is coveting. It's very hard to see from an appearance standpoint. I could be coveting right now. You don't know. You guys can't tell if I'm coveting. And in fact, it's so hard to spot that oftentimes we can't spot it in the mirror either. We can't see it in ourselves. So I wouldn't be surprised if this rich young ruler, he probably doesn't even realize that he has a problem with coveting. And that's just like many of us. I bet you most of us, we don't realize that coveting is an issue in our lives at all. So this is the way coveting kind of plays itself out in our lives. Coveting happens any time that we say, I was fine until. And usually whatever comes after the until is trouble. I was fine with the vacation I took until I saw what they posted on Instagram about their vacation. Are you kidding me? I was fine with, you know, the life that I was living. I was fine with the situation I was in. I was fine with the thing I was driving until I saw my neighbor drive his brand new truck home. Or maybe even in the midst of this uh, virus spreading and the economic shutdown that's happened, Many of us have lost our jobs. Many people have lost income or lost opportunities. Maybe you've said to yourself, you know, I was fine with the income I've lost until I realized those people over there haven't lost anything. They haven't even been touched by this. They haven't even lost any income. It happens for pastors too. Oftentimes I see it in my own life when it's kind of like, you know, I was fine with what was happening in our church. I was fine with what God was doing, the way he was working in our church until I saw what God is doing in this other church or until I saw how successful this other pastor is. We all do it. We all struggle in different areas with, with coveting. And that's what's happening in this moment is Jesus is putting his finger on that issue and so he invites the rich young ruler to lose it all. He says, you need to step out of that and you need to lose it all in order to find me. Because in Jesus is the only way that we can find the life that is really, truly life. Jesus saw something different when he looked at the rich young ruler than what other people were able to see. Jesus didn't see the rich young ruler's riches when he looked at him. Jesus saw the rich young ruler's poverty. He saw what was underneath the appearance. Appearances can be deceiving. And what he could see when he looked at the rich young ruler was that he had a poverty of the soul. And that's why he asks him to lose it all, to surrender it all in order to find 
him in order to find Jesus because it's in Jesus that we find true life. Now, what's interesting about this story is the rich young ruler goes away sad and we think the story's over. That's actually not the end of the story. The real point of the story is what happens next. Jesus pivots and he has a discussion with his disciples. And so let's look at that together. In verse 23, you see the discussion Jesus has. It says, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is impossible with God. So it's actually in this conversation Jesus has with his disciples that we see the real point of this entire interaction that Jesus has with the rich young ruler. And what I want you to see here is that the disciples had a false assumption. And I think it's the same false assumption that you have, that I have, especially those of us in the West we really deal with. The, the false assumption that the disciples have is that riches actually make it easier for a person to be saved. That's why, in fact, when Jesus says, no, actually, riches make it harder for a person to be saved, it's why they're astounded. The disciples are shocked by this because their false assumption, they, looked, they look at the appearances, appearances can be deceiving, and they had assumed, well, riches must make it easier for a person to be saved. And Jesus confronts that idea. What's interesting in this passage is that there are three different expressions that are used kind of interchangeably. Uh, in verse 26, it's the expression being saved. In verse 23, it's entering the kingdom. And in verse 17, it's receiving eternal life. All three of those different terms are used interchangeably here to describe the same thing. And in fact, we have interchangeable terms in our culture too that we use to describe the same thing. Maybe you've heard it uh, described as asking Jesus into your heart or committing your life to Christ or uh, making a profession of faith. I mean, there's so many different uh, terms we use for this, but basically that's what the rich young ruler wanted. That's what he wanted. He wanted peace for his life and peace for his future. And somehow he knew that his money, his wealth, his accomplishments could not provide that for himself. That's what he was after. He wanted peace. And peace is exactly what Jesus came to give us in his salvation. That's exactly what Jesus wanted to give us. I want to take you back to the moment where it says that Jesus looked at this rich young ruler and he loved him. Before he even responds, he, it says Jesus looked at the rich young ruler and he loved him. So why? Why did he love him? Here's my theory on that. I think Jesus saw himself when he looked at the rich young ruler. Think about it. At this point in time, Jesus would have been like 32. So he was young and Jesus was a rich young ruler. But Jesus was far richer than this man could ever possibly imagine. And Jesus was a ruler in ways that this man could not have possibly imagined. Jesus had ruled with God the Father since before the foundation of time. He was a part of how all of creation came into existence. And so Jesus already had done what he was about to ask the rich young ruler to do. Jesus left it all. He lost it all. He gave it all up on behalf of us who are poor to come in human form 
and to live a perfect sinless life and to offer himself in a sacrificial death on the cross for our sakes. And in a sense, you could say that Jesus was the true rich young ruler. He did what the rich young ruler couldn't do. He goes away sad because he couldn't do it for himself. And Jesus had done it on his behalf. And that's the hope that we have, is that Jesus did it on our behalf. I love the way that um, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, describes it. Uh, this, this is the way it describes the gospel. It says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. My friends, that's the gospel. That's the message of hope that we have, that Jesus gave it all up. He became poor on our behalf so that through his poverty, we could become rich. That's what Jesus did for you. That's what he did for me. That's what he did for the rich young ruler. What that means then is that when we come to Jesus, we don't bring our riches. We bring our poverty. We don't bring our strength. We bring our weaknesses. We don't bring our solutions. We bring our surrender. We don't bring our independence. I've got this. I can do it. We bring our dependence on him. That's why Jesus says to the rich young ruler, if you really want eternal life, lose it all to find me because it's only in me that you can have eternal life. That's what he's inviting this rich young ruler into. Jesus gave the rich young ruler a choice. He said, it's a choice. He choose to lose it all in order to find me. But the reality is, as we sit here, April 5th, 2020, sometimes we don't get a choice in that matter, do we? For many of us who over the last few weeks have lost jobs, lost income, some of you right now are losing it all and it's without your permission. You didn't sign up for this. Listen to me, if, if you're in that situation, if you're worried about your future, if you're worried about your job, if you're losing things right now, you need to know it has never been more important than it is right now to surrender it all to find Jesus. Because when you surrender it all to find Jesus and he becomes your hope, he becomes your salvation, he changes the way you see it all. He changes the way you see yourself, your wealth, your possessions. It, he changes the way you see your world and the needs that are around you. It's never been more important to surrender it all to find Jesus. COVID-19 is a historic moment in a way that we wish it wasn't a historic moment. Five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, we're gonna be sitting around talking about this moment in history. So the question I want to ask you to think about as you ponder, you know, where am I in this story? What stories do you want to be telling your kids and your grandkids when you look back on this moment? When you look back on COVID-19, what kind of stories do you want to be telling about how you responded, about what you saw, about what you entered into? Do you want to be telling stories about how you looked out for number one and hoarded, or do you want to be telling stories about how you had surrendered it all to find Jesus and you truly found the life that is true life, even in the midst of this. I wanna illustrate that a little bit if I could. Um, I've got two cookies here. Uh, and these are delicious cookies, by the way. On one of my 
uh, runs to Meyer, which are very few and far between these days. I managed to pick up a, uh, some of these loft house cookies. Man, uh, I love these cookies. They're so good. And so um, this is John. Uh, John did an awesome job leading us in worship uh, <laughs> a little bit to this weekend. And John is the pastor of our center church. And as you can see, John has no cookies. I have two cookies. John has no cookies. Now, it would make sense, right, because I have two cookies that I should give John one of my, my cookies, right? But here's the thing. I might get hungry a little bit later this afternoon, you know, and I'm going to find myself really wishy. If I give you this cookie right now, it might be that I'm hungry later and I'm not able to, you know, to eat the, what I want because I gave you that cookie. And so here's what I'm going to do for you, John. I'm going to pray for you. God is a big God, John. He knows your need. He knows, uh, you know, what's going on in your life. And I just believe, and if you believe enough, I believe God is going to meet that got me for you in your life. <laughs> What's the problem with this? Anybody see the problem with this? This is our world right now. Let me go one step further. This, uh, I got some broken fragments on a plate here of another kind of cookie. I'll hold one up. Hopefully you guys can get a shot of that. This is a dirt cookie from Haiti or a piece of a dirt cookie from Haiti. I uh, got this from one of our missions partners who serves in Haiti. And parents feed their kids these. Um, so they're basically dirt mixed with a little bit of oil. And they literally slap them out on the pavement, and then they dry in the hot sun. And then they feed them to their kids. Now, these have no, absolutely no uh, nutritional value at all. But if you are a mother who has a child that is crying all the time and screaming because of hunger pangs, and you get to the point where you can't stand to listen to your child scream anymore, this will at least fill the stomach. It'll at least stop them from crying, and it will make you feel like a mother that did something about the situation. I want to invite you to think about Jesus looks at this rich young ruler and he says, you want life that's real life? I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to lose it all to find me. Give it all up. Surrender it all. Go all in. And that's how you'll find life that's true life. That's what we're invited into. This past week, um, our staff gathered on a Zoom call. That's the only way that we can meet these days. And we had this big Zoom call, and we began to talk about you, the church, all three churches in the Zero Collective, and we just began to tell stories about how we are seeing people respond right now to COVID-19 and to the needs that are around them. Amanda Alkenbrack, who's our children's pastor at Frontline, told this story. She said that as the news uh, started really hitting of the economic shutdown, she called up a single mom who's part of our church because she was just concerned about this single mom. She began to have a burden for her. And she talked with her and as she was losing money and wondering where things were going to come from. This single mom wasn't asking for her help. She wasn't calling the church asking for us to help her. But Amanda just began to become burdened for her. And she just began to have an ache uh, from God for this single mom. And so she couldn't meet her needs. She couldn't give her any money. She didn't have the resources to do that. And so Amanda shared that she just began to pray and seek God and say, God, will you just show me how I can step into this situation? Show me how I can help. 
not more than an hour or two after she said that prayer, Amanda got a phone call from another family at Frontline. And this family literally said, hey, we were doing our taxes. And as we were doing our taxes, we realized we never gave money away that we had planned on giving away. And so do you know anybody that might have a need? When that phone call came, Amanda didn't have to look for a person who could have that need because she already saw the need. That's what Jesus does when we surrender it all to him. He changes the way we see it. He changes the way we see ourselves. He changes the way we see our world. He changes the way we see everything around us. My friends, we are all looking at the same events right now on the news. We're all looking at the same stories, the same information that's coming out as this virus continues to spread and as people are impacted, as our world and our economy are impacted. What do you see? There's a group of people who look at our world right now and all they see is despair and loss and fear. There's another group of people who see opportunity. This is the time for the church to shine. What you see when you look at it has a lot to do with whether or not you have lost it all in order to find Jesus. So here's how I want to uh, close today. I want to give you the same opportunity that Jesus gave that rich young ruler. I want to give you the opportunity to surrender it all to find him because it's in him that there's life that's real life. Peace for your life, not just now, but for all of eternity. And it will change how you see everything in the midst of this crisis. For some of you, maybe you thought you had surrendered it already. But as the, the events have happened and as the economy has crashed and as you've lost things, maybe you've realized that you didn't really mean it. Maybe for others of you, this is the first time you've ever considered this. Maybe this is the first time you've ever stepped into something like this. Uh, even there in your living room, if you would just bow your head, I'd love to just offer a prayer and let's just go to Jesus together. And if that's you, you can just join with me in saying this. Jesus, right now I come to you and I recognize that all my wealth, all my accomplishments, all the things that I could bring to prove myself cannot save me, cannot give me eternal life. And I recognize that it's only through what you did by leaving the riches of heaven where you were ruling and reigning and coming to this earth and to live a life to show us who God is, to die on the cross for my sins and to rise again to give me eternal life that I can have eternal life. And so right now, Jesus, I bring my surrender to you, not my strength, not my solutions, not my abilities. I bring my surrender to you and I make you Lord of my life. I ask you to cleanse me of my sin. I ask you to change me from the inside out and give me new eyes to see the world and to see myself and to see everything the way you see it. I just thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you're doing right now in the midst of this crisis, Jesus, that you are at work and you are building your church. We give you praise for that. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.